you got your Bibles, you're going to need them. Uh, Kevin's got some back there. Raise your hand if you need a Bible. I don't see any hands. Praise the Lord. So last week, a lot of you were here, and I asked a question, and it's a personal question that I asked for many years of my life. I asked, how do I become the man that God would desire me to be? And then I asked you if you've ever asked that question. And this was, and it is still my desire to become the child of God that he would desire me to be. The husband, the father, the friend, the man that would be pleasing to our Lord Jesus Christ. And I asked you again, I asked you, what type of person, or have you ever asked yourself or wondered, what type of person does God desire each of you to be that would be pleasing in his eyes? And then I asked the real hard question, right? Is how do you actually become that person? Because there's really two parts of that, isn't there? You got who this person is and how do you become that person? And I want to start again with a few scriptures before we get into the main text. And I want to look at Ephesians chapter 5. You can turn there. So where we were last week, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 26. Reviewing this again. For husbands, this means... Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He, I stopped there at 26. So the person, all of us, I hope, I pray, that desires to be holy and clean, we know this was done by Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. This gift of being cleansed from our sins, is available to anyone through faith in Jesus Christ and just coming and receiving that gift, saying, yes, I believe. I surrender my life to you. I was a sinner. I am a sinner. I am in the need of a Savior. Then once we are saved, we are, it's called being born again. We are then continually washed by the cleansing of His Word which is our Bible. So this process that each of us walk through, as Christian, the big word is sanctification. Each of us are being sanctified. Each one of us is becoming more like Christ, more like Jesus. And we will continue that process, each one of us, until we pass from this world to be with Jesus in heaven. So we, as Christians, are to become, or we are to be transformed into the person that God would have us. We are becoming more and more like Christ. We are becoming ambassadors, a representation of Jesus. Turn back a few pages here to Romans. Romans 12, 2. Do not copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. Romans 12, 2. These passages that I see here, they've shown me, and as we have studied through Matthew, we have seen that our outward actions may be pleasing to God even, or pleasing to others. But we, and God examines our heart, our heart condition, behind our outward actions. We've been studying this for several weeks. And last week, as we have been studying this, we learned about revenge. 
it doesn't belong in our lives as a Christian. We are to leave that to God. We talked about it last week. We are also to be reminded that we are to love our enemies just as Jesus loved us. So how's that going so far for this week for all of you? Have you thought about any revengeful acts? Have you been loving your enemies? Have you been showing to the people that harm you and hurt you the same love and grace and mercy that Jesus has given you? How's it going? Have we all been living out the lives that God has called us, the way he has taught us to live out? We're all working on it, aren't we? Praise the Lord for grace and mercy for each one of us. And thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit who does enable us to live that way. So closing last week, I, we addressed how we also were to give others, if you remember the passages. And Jesus addressed each one of the person that would give and say, don't do it as a hypocrite. We remember this. But we, so let's turn back to Matthew to start picking up the story. Matthew chapter 6. This is where we left off last week, verses 3 and 4. Matthew 6, 3 and 4. Let's read it. But when you give to someone in need... Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Jesus, again, has been instructing us, instructing me, how to live as a child of God. To honor Him with our lives and our actions and our hearts. And we're learning, each one of us, through the Holy Spirit, in the study of God's Word, who we are to be as God's children each and every day. Today, and in in really a big part of a Christian's life, is worship through prayer and fasting. It's a form of worship. So the first question I ask as we get into this topic is, do you pray? I think all of us would probably say yes, right? Do you pray? Do you fast? Maybe not everyone's hand. Do you fast? So, Then you think about this prayer and this fasting. So how do you do each of these two things? What does that look like in your own life? I want to share a quote from Leonard Ravenhill. I don't know if any of you will know. I think Kevin will know who this is. I don't know if anyone else will. But I'll show you a quote from him. I like him sometimes. He says, The self-sufficient do not pray. The self-satisfied will not pray. The self-righteous cannot pray. No man is greater than his prayer life. Leonard Ravenhill. I like him. He's very bold in his writings and his speakings. So what is your heart condition behind your prayer life and fasting? Jesus has a lot to say about this. And today, we're going to look at that in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in 5 and 6. Let's read. When you pray... Don't pray like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. Verse 6. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. So Jesus is explaining to each one of us how to pray. Beginning, I believe, with what not to do. And then we're going to continue in how we should pray. Now Jesus, I think in this story, is directly addressing some certain people. Certain Jewish people in his time. 
Because apparently in Jesus' time, Jesus is referring to these hypocrites, as he calls them, that would go out there and they would stand in public, uh, they would stand in the places of worship, and they would pray in such a manner that those in even shouting distance would hear them and look towards them, putting on quite a show, I'm sure. I can, I can picture this happening. I don't know about you. Could you picture this happening? I, I, I think some of the street preachers I've seen, or I've actually, in Myanmar, I've seen some pretty uh, big prayers out there. I haven't quite witnessed it in Thailand yet. But these people doing this, as Jesus is referring to, are drawing attention to themselves, is really what they're doing. They're not truly pointing others to Jesus as they're praying. They're not truly coming before God in worship in their prayer life. But they're really looking, I believe, to be worshipped themselves. Now this obviously must have been a big problem in Jesus' time because he's writing about it here. Turn, in fact, turn to Matthew, Matthew 23. Look at uh, 5 through 7, Matthew 23, 5 through 7. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. And they wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit at the head of the table at the banquets and the seat of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. So this was obviously taking place in Jesus' time. But what about today? What about today in the church? What about today in our own lives? Do we see people doing the same behavior today? Perhaps. I mean, perhaps. But I don't think that's really the question. I think we've got to look at our own hearts behind our prayer life, is what this is really about. And I want to bring this up as we continue. Have you ever been asked to pray publicly? Because I don't want to be, make a confusion. So I think most of you, I've asked quite a few of you actually even, to pray publicly. So when we get into this, I don't, Jesus isn't saying that we should not pray publicly. That's not the point of this. What he's saying is we need to have a prayer life with God. He's addressing our hearts behind our prayers. Because if we're up there just to pray these loud, crazy things, that's not what he's after. So Jesus is going to spell it out for us, how to pray. So turn back and look in Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 5. First thing I, say, I see is it says, when you pray... That's how it starts, when you pray. So the lesson already is that we as Christians, he's just as, right away, when you pray, you're going to be praying. So this is, when we come before God, what is prayer? I mean, there's people in here today, maybe, that would actually, that would wonder, what is prayer? How do you pray? Prayer, so when you pray, is we come before God in a one-on-one conversation. I thought of it this way. Hear my analogy and see what you think. My wife and I try to have a date night each week. Um, this is free, right? This is a little plug-in in the uh, sermon. This is like a double lesson. I won't even charge you for the second part of this lesson. So this is marriage advice, a bonus today. Date your wife. That's a free bonus for today's sermon. But there's a message to this. And when you date her, date her as you're still courting her. I'll add that. Get dressed up. Go on a date. You will be blessed. So a marriage, when you look at it and you, we know this, it's an example given to us relating to our relationship, the church's relationship to God. I think many of us are familiar with this. 
So each week, I try and set aside time, one-on-one conversations with my wife as part of our date night. So I take this time to build my relationship with my wife, to have just a time set aside for her. Now, prayer is one way that we have a relationship with God. Just as we spend time with our loved ones, with our husband or wives, we also are called to do the same with Jesus, with God. Look at verse, let's look at verse 6 again. It says, But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. We are to spend intimate time with God in prayer. We are to set aside time, a place, without distractions, and spend time with Jesus. You know, I need to work on this. I agree. To really set aside time to shut the door each day and to pray out loud before God. Now, this isn't the only way or the only time that we should be in prayer. But we're shown by Jesus to have a very specific, very intentional, and a very personal time with God. Again, I think it goes back to my relationship with my wife. I talk to her every day. I mean, you guys that are married, you talk to your spouses every day. You wake up in the morning, I hope you say good morning, right? Um, you, uh, yeah, sometimes I ask her, what's for lunch? What's going on today? Um, good night. Um, that's not the same, is it? That's not the same as an intimate conversation with your spouse or your loved ones. It's not the same. I need to make that time and set it aside to date her and take time to come together and be able to talk with her. Maybe each of us probably, I'm sure, could work on our prayer life. Or maybe some of us can work on our relationships with our spouses. Uh, Both require the same, don't they? They require spending quality time with each other. Quiet, intimate time. So before we read these next passages, again, we do pray publicly. But when I do pray publicly, even when I'm up here, this is not a huge public setting, but I've prayed in like very large public settings even, I personally, I, I don't care who's there. I'm not looking to them. I'm having a conversation with God even when I'm praying in, converse, in a public setting. I'm having a deep conversation, me and God, and it's between us privately, yet I'm speaking out loud sometimes in a public situation. So I think that, I don't want to be mistaken because he's, some people say, oh, you shouldn't maybe have these prayers publicly. It's the heart behind it. Am I praying so people are looking to me and trying to use the biggest words I can find or I'm trying to like, you know, do this or that? Or am I just really seeking the Lord to worship him? So Jesus has very, a lot to say about prayer. Let's continue right now just in Matthew chapter 6 and let's look at verses 7 and 8. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. So Jesus is continuing to teach each of us how to pray, explaining now what our prayers should look like. In verses 5 and 6, we kind of learn more about the act of prayer, a physical example more of how to pray. Now here in verses 7 and 8, he begins to show us more what we should be praying, our words, how we should pray, how we should talk to God. What do your conversations with God look like? How do you pray to God? Do you have conversations with God? 
in these verses, it's clear. Jesus states what we shouldn't do, repeating phrases over and over and over. Even today, there are some Christian believers that believe if you say a Christian prayer so many times, and maybe right on that certain number, God would then answer your prayer. There's religions, Christian religions that teach that. But Jesus is clear. God doesn't need you to repeat yourself over and over. He doesn't need it. God knows each of our needs, doesn't he? He's sovereign. He knows our needs more than each one of us knows our needs. He's not saying we can't ask him, and we, shouldn't, we should ask him. But we don't need to do these repetitive over and over prayers, you know, seeking penance or forgiveness. We don't need to do that. He hears us. Jesus, he also instructs us to not be a babbler, as mine says. Just talk to God. Have a conversation with him. Talk to him like he's right before you, seated on his throne. I was careful with my words there, the way I presented God as we are to pray. He's on his throne. So yes, we can have a conversation with God. We can talk to God. But also, remember, he's on the throne. I think we do need to remember that. Jesus wants us to pray. It pleases him when we seek him in this way. Now, Jesus is going to continue, and he's going to give an example how to pray in verses 9 through 13. So let's read this example. Verse 9, Matthew chapter 6. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield in temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So Jesus now has given us an example of a prayer. Now let's remember, this is an outline of how we can pray. An outline. Jesus didn't say, say this prayer. That's not what he said. He says he gives us a model to follow. An example. Some translations say, in this manner, pray in this manner. So let's start looking at this prayer. Let's break it down and learn from this example from Jesus how each one of us should pray. I give a disclaimer real quick on this. As we look at the Lord's Prayer, some people say disciples' prayer, and we learn from this example that Jesus has given us, I'm going to cover this in like 10 minutes. But there are hundreds of books on this very subject. Hundreds, I'm sure. And we are just going to today look at a basic outline of how we should pray. So, again, 10 minutes I'm going to go through this. There are literally books written on this prayer. So how do you pray to God? How do you begin your conversation with God? What's that look like? Can you think in your mind? How do you begin your prayers? I think all of us begin probably the same way each time. Jesus begins in verse 9, teaching us, or stating how we should begin our prayers. First, addressing to whom we are praying to. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. So we begin our prayers with acknowledging who we are praying to as we begin praying. Our Father in heaven. What about other acknowledgments? What do you think? How would you acknowledge the one that you are coming before in prayer? How would you acknowledge him? Do you know who you're coming before? Who God is? As you're coming before him in prayer? Do you realize we're coming before God, the one who has created everything 
known and unknown just by the speaking. The one who has given his son in your place to die for your sins. That's the one we're coming before. Do we acknowledge that? The one who has defeated sin and death. And we join in that resurrection. This is the God that we're able to come before. Do we acknowledge that when we pray? How do we address God as we begin to pray? Do we take a second, just a moment, to remember who we are praying to and the cost for that relationship that we have today with Him? That allows us to have this one-on-one relationship. Think about this, each of us, as we come before God in prayer. Acknowledge who He is. Think about what He's done for you. Or do you, do you set another question is, as we realize who we're coming before, do we set aside time to pray? Or are we usually just running out the door? Keep me safe today, God, run out the door. So the question comes back to our hearts. What is your heart? What is your posture as you come before God in prayer? Jesus shows us that as we begin to pray, we address God. And this should require us to be prepared to, to speak to our King. I think this is important. How do, you, how do you come before the holy God? You come humbly? You come undistracted? Think about that for each one of us. How should we come before God in prayer? We come as we are, it's true. But I think also sometimes we need to realize who God is. And then we have the opportunity to come before Him. So next in the passage, after we have addressed God for who He is, Jesus shows us in verse 10 a model for the beginning of our prayer. Let's look again at verse 10. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, and I read this and I kind of ask, is this the heart of the prayer? I mean, as soon as we're addressing God, he immediately turns to this. First asking that Jesus would come soon, that his kingdom would come. I will admit, maybe I've shared this before, I somewhat struggle with this. You know, we're singing the song today, right? Please, Jesus, come. I sometimes have struggled with this. I think because maybe I have a wrong interpretation of this, but I think as we pray, please come soon, Jesus. I read this prayer. First thing we come, as soon as we acknowledge who we're praying to, we pray and ask, may your kingdom come soon. And I start thinking about this, and, I, you know, as I think about the rapture, and I am pre-trib, and I think, like, if Jesus comes, what about all the people that don't know him yet? And, I, I, you know, I always kind of struggled with that in my mind. And then I remember that, you know, if Jesus does come, we pray for this, and he would come, and he would take up his church. Those here that were on the fence that were not surrendered to the Lord, they can still surrender, you know, they can still come to the Lord. There's many that will come in the tribulation to know Jesus. So we can pray that Jesus would come soon. And this doesn't mean that if Jesus comes, all the people that we know, they may not know Jesus yet, but I'm sure they will, they will then have the opportunity to come to know him. So again, I don't know. I've, just, I've always kind of struggled with that. So the next example that Jesus shows us in the same verse is, May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To pray for God's will before presenting our needs before him. Think about that. I thought of this. I mean, this is me or us submitting to God before, not after, I present my prayers to him. 
Most often, I think when I pray, and I've noticed it, I will close my prayer after making my request known, then asking for God's will. Instead of starting the prayer, praying for God's will. I think there's a difference. Let's continue and look at verse 11. Give us today the food that we need. Now, at this point in the prayer, we come before God and we ask Him to provide, to provide for our needs. So what do each one of you pray for? I mean, we do prayer requests all the time. Every service, Bible study, group I go to, we do prayer requests. So what do you pray for? I believe, obviously, it's important and it's okay to pray for more than just food to survive the day. I pray for each of you. I pray for healing. For, I pray for provision. I pray for wisdom. I pray for safety, as we were talking about some of that today. I, I pray for opportunities to be used by God. We are to let God know our needs, and we can pray that he would meet them, the needs. But what spoke to me as I read this is that we are to come to God daily. And I think that's the part that's really important. We'd come to him each and every single day and come before him and ask him, please provide for my needs today. I think that's the key in this a little bit. In fact, if you turn a page over to Matthew 6.34, it says, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. We'll study that verse next week, actually. So let's continue to look at the example of how to pray. Look at verse 12. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. To me, this is kind of a statement of who we are to be as Christians. Again, there's, you could preach a whole message on this. But I think that if we are born-again Christians, and we are coming before God in prayer, and He has given us the grace and the mercy and forgiveness is very clear in this that we are to give the same grace and same mercy as we present our prayers before God. In verse, now it transitions here in verse 13. Don't let us yield to temptation, but re- rescue us from the evil one. I see this as kind of the closing of the prayer. There's kind of two parts there. First was verse 12, but 13, we close our prayers each day asking the Lord to protect each one of us from Satan, from the evil one. So we see a model or an example here of how to pray. Let's continue. Look at verses 14 through 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is why I didn't touch on that in the prayer too much. Perhaps one of the most important pieces of information from Jesus on how to pray here concerning our heart condition again as we pray. Jesus is very clear and he reminds us all who are professing Christians that if we refuse to follow the model that Jesus has set forth of forgiveness, he says we will not receive that grace and mercy. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood in this. I want to be very clear that there's two things, really. First of all, we're not trading forgiveness. Like, I, oh, I forgive that person, then I receive God's forgiveness. That's not how that works. We receive God's forgiveness, therefore, Christ in us, we forgive others. But if we, again, if we received the forgiveness in our hearts, we must offer forgiveness. It's not a trade. 
I want to share a quote. This is from Warren Worsby. He says, He was not teaching that believers earned God's forgiveness by forgiving others, for this would be contrary to God's free grace and mercy. However, if we have truly experienced God's forgiveness, then we will have a readiness to forgive others. I do believe that. We must remember this as we pray. In fact, there's more. I want to turn to Colossians. This is important. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. We'll go through 14. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, close yourself with the love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Jesus is teaching that when we pray, first of all, God is not looking for some dramatic outward show of a prayer. What He's looking for in our prayers is that we would come before Him with a surrendered heart. We'd have a heart of mercy, a heart of grace, and forgiveness for others. Jesus seeks to have a relationship with each one of us, just like how we have relationships with people, that we would spend time with him. So again, I ask the question, how is your prayer life? How are you spending time with Jesus? Do you set aside time for God as you would a close friend or a spouse? Do you set everything aside, shut off your phone and just have conversations with God? Shut the door and have intimate time with the Lord. I know I can do better, that's for sure. Let's turn back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father, who knows what you do in private. And your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Jesus now, I believe, is applying many of the same principles as prayer to fasting. So again, the question comes up, when we fast, wait, again, he starts off, when you fast. So do you fast? This is, again, the Lord is just saying, when you fast. There's an important point there. It begins with that. You know, as I think about fasting, I think a lot of us come from different uh, churches, um, different uh, denominations. And growing up, even though I was not surrendered to the Lord, I did attend church most of my life in some form or another. But fasting wasn't something that was really commonly talked about a lot. I mean, I heard the word. Maybe someone was fasting, but I never heard much about it. Um, so even as I grew up, you know, and went through church and even... It was kind of foreign to me. I was like, what does this mean? Why does someone do that? I didn't quite understand it. But it's very clear through Scripture that we are to fast. And Jesus shows us the example that we are to fast. And when we're doing this, when we are fasting, it is a form of worship, but it's also, I think, a form of obedience to God. Now, for me, it's interesting because you read passages like this, right? Not to talk about it, not to pray, and then I'm teaching on it. So I'm doing that in some way. But when I do fast, it's usually for me, it's when I'm facing a big decision or maybe a, something in my life, a problem has came up. Now, that's usually when I have fasted. 
Now I think that I should probably change that. Um, that's like praying to put a fire out, right? I think I should probably start fasting more often, not just to have a just to spend time with the Lord. Um, you know, I I know when I do fast. You know, I asked a person once, like, you know, how do you fast? And he said, well, you know, there's lots of different types of fasting, but the biblical model is food. You can fast from other things, but the biblical model is food. So as you go through the day and you get hungry, each time you seek that, you come to the Lord in prayer. You you know, and uh, you seek Him. And usually when I'm fasting, I'm really praying also that I'd hear, hear an answer from the Lord. But as we talk about fasting here, it's funny, I was talking to Vicki about it earlier. She's like, fasting is just as important as prayer. Amen. You know, yeah, it's true. But like, then I, and she was like, well, you know, it's only like this much scripture today and the rest is like this much scripture on prayer. And so my sermon had a lot more to do with prayer today than fasting. And I found that funny because, you know, one is not more important than the other. Um, they're done a little differently. But again, Jesus instructs us on fasting that our, what is our heart condition behind when we do fast? Are we presenting ourselves in a manner that doesn't draw attention to ourselves? Or are we seeking God? Or are we seeking attention from man? I've, I've actually, I've definitely witnessed this happen. Um, I was on a mission trip once, and I knew the guy, and he didn't like the food. Like any of the food. He was a really picky eater. So we get there, and he says, I'm fasting. Like, dude, that does not count. Because <laughs> you aren't giving up anything that you actually wanted to eat. <laughs> um, again, it's about our heart condition, isn't it? Are we really setting something aside and giving something up for a short term to come before the Lord? I want to turn to Isaiah 58.3. You could read the whole thing, really, but for time, I'm just going to read 3 through 5. Isaiah 58.3 We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why. I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even when you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through this motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and you cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? We see a clear outline here in Isaiah of what not to do as we fast. And again, it's about the heart. It's really about our hearts. Jesus is seeking one that will come before him humbly, and be obedient and worship Him in this way. Again, I think as we continue this through these passages, these last few weeks, and continuing the next few weeks, we see that it's about our hearts in all these things. It's about our hearts as we pray. It's about our hearts as we fast. You know, as I read these, I was really convicted this week to work on my, my own relationship with God, to spend more time with God in prayer and in fasting. You know, I do practice both, but Jesus has shown me through these passages, again, the example how each of us can worship him through this prayer and fasting, to spend time with God privately and intimately. I think it's important. There's some big words there, privately and intimately. And I think out loud, that's a new one for me, honestly. I 
that, that's important. To really, he says, shut the door and just spend time with God. Again, he said, so I, I come up with seven points that I saw here that both kind of apply, of course, to prayer and to fasting. Again, privately and intimately is first point. Then, second one, Jesus said, don't babble or repeat phases, but use the examples given. He gives us an example in the Lord's Prayer. Then he gives number three. He says, begin your prayer with addressing God, honoring Him for who He is and what He has done. Number four, pray for Jesus to come soon and for the will of God to be done. Then, number five, present our daily needs before God. Then, number six, to thank God for Jesus and the forgiveness that each of us have received and ask the Holy Spirit to help each of us forgive as Jesus has forgiven us so our prayers may be answered. And in closing, number seven for the prayer is asking for protection as we go out into the world. Kind of a simplified outline. But I think I kind of covered it. Seven points of how to worship God in prayer and fasting. I want to share another quote. It's from Robert Law. Prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. I like that. Prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. So I hope and I pray, and I do really pray that each of us and myself would examine our own prayer life and examine how we fast, when we fast. And we would just set aside some time to really spend with God in these ways. Jesus has shown us through the scriptures how we can do this, how we should do in this, and what our hearts should be as we worship in this way. I think that's an important part. He's shown us what our hearts should be as we worship in this way. I want to close with a passage in Luke. Luke chapter 18, because he really summarizes this whole lesson so well. Luke 18, 9 through 14. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to a temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to study your word, Lord, as you've shown us, Lord, through your word, Lord, how you would have us worship you through prayer, through fasting. Lord, I just pray that each one of us would look at our own lives, Lord, and examine, are we following your word that you've set forth here, Lord? Is this how we pray? Is this how we fast, Lord? Are we coming to you with humbled hearts, Lord, with forgiveness for others? Are we coming to you with the same grace and mercy that you've given us to others? So, Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to 
teach through your word. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just show each one of us, Lord, how we can have a relationship, a better relationship with you, Lord. As I shared the story of my wife and how I spend time to have conversations with her, I set aside certain moments, Lord, that we'll go somewhere private, Lord, and we'll take time for, to remove any distractions and just talk. Just see what's going on with each other's life. Lord, I think you seek that same relationship with each one of us. A private, intimate conversation with each one of us, Lord. And it's amazing, Lord, that we have this opportunity to come for the God, the creator of all things known, Lord. The one who has given his very life, his son, for each one of us, Lord. The one that is on the throne, and yet you welcome us to conversate with you. So I thank you for that privilege, Lord. We love you, Lord. Please just accept our worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen.